I'm Brett McGarry. This week on the Couch Potatoes, I am very excited because my co-host here started watching two of my favorite shows. I'm Jeff Braun. Oh yeah, I'm all in on both Big Little Lies and Trapped. I also watched a horror movie this week, sort of. Another scary movie, <laughs> Jeff. What is happening to you? Yeah, we're getting into. I'll deconstruct as well the latest season of the groundbreaking mind bendy show, Black Mirror. We're kidding ourselves if we think people will stop talking. You're one of the Monterey Five, right? Monterey Five? Just the way he said it, you know. How did he say it? Like we all have scarlet letters on our backs. It's gonna get us, it's gonna get us all. What are you talking about? The lie. I want to know what happened that night. I'm very tempted to ask you, but I... I don't think I would get the truth, would I? I used some time off recently to go back and watch season one of HBO's highly acclaimed Big Little Lies, so I'd be ready for season two, which began last weekend. We'll try to keep this sort of spoiler-free, but frankly, it's a little tough, and that first season's almost two years old at this point, I think, one and a half anyways. For the uninitiated, Big Little Lies is a drama involving the parents of first graders in a very ritzy California community. They're helicopter parents of the worst kind, and they use their children as pawns in their petty little fights with each other. There's a lot of satire there and a lot of soapy melodrama, and you can tell everyone's having fun. And then there's a murder at a school fundraiser. Now, the hook of that first season is that we don't find out who died or who did it until the very end of the finale, and the show sets up a lot of red herrings. Almost anyone in their community, Monterey, could be the victim or the killer. The first season starring Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Shailene Woodley, Zoe Kravitz, Laura Dern, Alexander Scott, Garden Adam Scott, based on a novel and created for television by David E. Kelly, who has a rich 25-year TV history from L.A. Law to Ally McBeal to The Practice to Boston Legal. Don't forget about uh, Cop Rock. Cop Rock? Did he do that too? I think so. Oh my God. I'll double check. I'll fact check that. Okay. I think he maybe... Okay, we'll see. <laughs> David E. You can carry on. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, no, that just blows my mind. Uh, the show won a ton of awards. Now I'm talking of Big Little Lies, of course, as a limited series and was so successful that, of course, HBO brought it back. So now I imagine it'll be in the drama categories, but not this year. They won't be up for Emmys in September. The deadline for Emmy submissions was May 31st, and this season two didn't start until June, so it'll be in next year's conversation. Handmaid's Tale, by the way, also waited until June to start its season this year, so that'll be up for awards next year as well. I don't think that anyone wants to go up against Game of Thrones this year. I'm pretty sure that's what's happening. Stephen Bochco, by the way. Stephen Bochco? He did Cop Rock. But David E. Kelly maybe wrote on it or something? No, I, I'm just confusing the two. All right. Because they're both super uh, TV guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, see. Season 2 started last Sunday. There are ramifications from the murder mystery of Season 1, but the big difference, of course, is that there is no murder mystery per se, which I really enjoyed in that first season, and so I sort of wondered about that before watching the Season 2 premiere, even wincing at the notion that they concoct a second murder just to keep the same structure. That would have been ridiculous, of course. Instead, there is the big lie that needs to be perpetuated on its own in the world they've created. That would probably actually be enough, but it gets even better because they've added a new wild card with Meryl Streep. She plays the character's mom and wants to know what really happened on the night of the murder. It's only been one episode so far, but she's already a lock for award nominations, I think. 
She's very passive-aggressive in a way that a lot of moms can be, uh, but behind her eyes you can really see the aggressive. She's going to stir up some stuff before the season ends, and uh, it's already glorious. She's the perfect addition to what's a very fun show. Did you watch the season two premiere already? I did, yeah, and uh, I like... You can tell that this character is in it for... She's in it for... Like, she's playing a long con right now. She's playing a long game. Like, that first episode ends with her... She's playing nice, but really... You, she's setting them up. She's, oh, yeah. she's sort of trying to... She's playing chess with all of them. She doesn't believe any of them. She knows... I think she knows what happened. Maybe not the very specifics, but the general specifics. And yeah, she so she, she doesn't trust any of them. And yeah, Meryl Streep... Like, when you look at that cast that of names that you rattled off there, that is already as powerhouse a cast as Absolutely. has ever been assembled on television. And then you add Meryl Streep, who <laughs> exactly. is royalty to the show. It is sensational. So when you're watching that first, like, did you binge through that first season? Or what? I did. I, well, yeah, I watched, I think, in over three nights. There's only seven episodes. And yeah. I was going to do just, oh, just one a day on my week off kind of thing. And after, as soon as the first one ended, I was like, well, I'll just watch the second one. And then I did pace myself a little bit just so I could, because I know, especially with murder mystery stuff, binging it takes away some of the fun of the week to week of spending a whole week wondering what happened, what's going to happen next, and that sort of thing. So I tried to keep a little bit of that, but I also wanted to get through it. It's also a pretty heavy show, not necessarily in like the gravity of its subject, but in the way that it's constructed. It's very artsy, and there's a lot of uh, interesting flashbacks and dream sequences, and sometimes it takes you a while to figure out, is this actually happening? Or yeah. what? So it's not just a straight... Uh, complete, you know, point A to point B narrative. So it takes some time to digest, I find. I found so as well. And and also, there's some, like, spousal abuse in it that was very hard to watch, where there's at least once or twice where I got to the end of the episode, it's like, you know what, I don't want to see any more of that today, so we'll just put that on pause until tomorrow. And I will say, uh, patting myself on the back, I predicted a couple of the twists. Oh, wow. I'm always very proud of myself when I do that. Although I also sort of hold it against the show. It's like, well, if you were a better show, I wouldn't have been able to guess what was going to happen. Really? Yeah. Well, I sort of figured out who was who was dead, but I, I didn't, re- I, I wasn't sure how it was going to play out no, with the, the killer. So that was interesting. And also worth pointing out as well, the author of the book, Diane Moriarty, pardon me, Leanne Moriarty. I saw L-I-A-N-E and just immediately went Diane. Leanne Moriarty, she wrote the book, and it was only supposed to be a one-off miniseries based on the book. Right. Like a limited series, but it did so well that they wanted more, so she wrote a novella just for HBO. Just uh, like, here's some plot for you. Yeah. That's pretty good. So so they could adapt that to the TV show. It makes you nervous, though, because Handmaid's Tale went off book after season one, and it wasn't as good. Mm -hmm. And same with Game of Thrones. So it's uh, that sort of makes you nervous, but hopefully they can do just fine. And so far, the the first episode's any indication, it's going to be awesome. Have you started watching season three of Handmaid's Tale? No. I I haven't even finished season two. I think I I I got two episodes in, and uh, as hard as season one was to watch, I found season two harder. Really? I think I was just expecting more optimism from season two, but then watching, seeing the promos, uh, it just looks like it gets worse and worse (laughs) and worse. It's been a year, so it's my own fault for not watching it, but I know how that season ends. I'll get to it soon. I just had so much other stuff to watch this week, and that was, and like you said, because of the nature of how miserable that show can be, it's not the thing I'm grabbing at first. Yeah. That is Big Little Lies season two, and we'll get into the other show 
that I like that Jeff watched a little bit later on. And in a moment, I'm going to tell you about a show that I watched this week on Netflix, the fifth season of an internationally renowned series, and it blew my head off. Once again, it's that good. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. The latest season of Black Mirror launched on Netflix recently on June 5th. Here's a setup clip. The app says that we need to do it within an hour. It's peak fertility. This ate so much, I don't know if I can. I'll always Want to know where I'm going after I leave here? Mariela. You know the thing about you. Sometimes you just sort of go away. I love you till then. There's something going on. Something going on. That's what I said. Not one minute more. Nothing is going on. Not much really revealed in that clip, but it's hard to talk about this specific episode without getting into too many spoilers, so I'll tell you about that in a moment. But first, just some background. One of my buddies, and I've mentioned this before, but one of my buddies has been harassing me for years to watch Black Mirror. Years. It started off in England back in 2011, described as follows. Featuring standalone dramas, sharp, suspenseful, satirical tales that explore techno-paranoia, Black Mirror is a contemporary reworking of the Twilight Zone, with stories that tap into the collective unease about the modern world. So the first season was three episodes, that was in 2011, second season in 2014 was three episodes, and then they did a Christmas special later that year. Such a British thing. Yeah, very. two seasons, Christmas special and done. (laughs) A couple years later, Netflix picks it up. They do a six-episode third season, and then in 2017, so the following year, they did a six-episode fourth season, and at the end of 2018, they released that Bandersnatch movie. That was that interactive choose-your-own-adventure story where you could control the story, and that was the episode that I finally watched before anything else, to which my friend exclaimed in horror, No! That can't be your first episode! Because I guess he didn't really care for it. So I did, after watching Watching Bandersnatch, I went back and started watching the first couple of seasons, and while I enjoyed Bandersnatch, I understood what he was getting at, because those first couple of seasons were extraordinary television, and I just, I haven't gotten to seasons three and four yet. I've been meaning to, just haven't gotten around to it. But last Friday, I'm on a plane heading out to Las Vegas, and this couple sitting beside me crack open their laptop, and they start watching one of the latest episodes. They downloaded it, and I found myself peeking repeatedly, and I figured, okay, on the plane ride back, I'm watching that. (laughs) Now, there are three episodes in this latest season. The first one, the one they were watching on the plane, the one for the clip that we played a moment ago, is called Striking Vipers. Anthony Mackie is the main star. He plays Danny. Danny's wife, Theo, is played by Nicole Bahari, who is in the Fox television series that I loved once upon a time, Sleepy Hollow. And his buddy Carl in the show is played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who most notably was Black Manta in last year's Aquaman. And he had a small role in Jordan Peele's Us. And it looks like he might be playing Candyman. Did you ever see Candyman? I did. I had nightmares about that for a long time. I was uh, coerced into it by... It was a peer pressure thing at a party in high school. Yeah, that's yeah. a scary movie. How old would you have been? Uh, high school, you say? Teenager? 
Yeah. Sadly, yeah. yeah. No, hey. <laughs> hey, it's scary is scary. You don't have to be an adult to not be scared by scary movies. So the story starts off when they're in their 20s. They all live together, the two friends and, at the time, I guess, girlfriend. And uh, the two guys are sitting on the couch playing a video game. It's a fighting game like Street Fighter called Striking Vipers. And then it quickly fast-forwards 11 years. Danny has settled into a nice suburban life. You heard him in the clip. You know, they're talking about how they're trying for another kid. They've already got one kid. But he's bored. Carl, meanwhile, lives downtown, and he's styling the younger ladies, but he's bored too in his fancy apartment. So for Danny's birthday, Carl buys him the latest edition of Striking Vipers, and it comes with this like virtual reality doodad that you stick to your head, and it lets you enter the game. Like, you get to be your character and be in the fight. Where it goes from there was entirely unexpected, and I won't get into that. It was, uh, what I will say, though, is it was one of the most beautiful episodes of television that I've ever watched from the way that it's shot uh, to the combination of the the music that they used. The music was lovely and very emotional. I think it, it took the material and really gave it more weight. And it's just so, it was so thought-provoking. Like, that's what this whole series is about, and more on that in a moment. But I finished the episode with all kinds of questions, not questions in the sense like, well, I don't get it. What happened? Or why'd you leave that that thing open? It, more in the the general, like, wow, that's really fascinating. Because it, it makes you, what this show does is it it makes you think about. It takes uses technology to help us kind of look at human relationships in a different way. And this technology opened up doors for relationships to be explored in a way that no one involved ever even imagined. And uh, I just loved it. And that's one of the things that I love about this like season. The first season has an episode, I think it's called The Entire History of You, where we each have a chip in our head and you carry around this basically like a little remote control and it records everything. And you can go back and examine... Just a PVR in your brain. Yeah, cool. exactly. And you can go back and, and, you know, if you can't remember something, you can call upon it in your memory. Or if you go through airport security, the airport security guys will like do a quick scan of your memories to see if you like have been building explosives or whatever. <laughs> but the way they use it in the episode is is this couple they're getting in a fight. You know when people get yeah. get, get really snippy. Yeah, 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 like you can say, oh yeah, well you said this, yeah. but in this case they can call up what you <laughs> said, and it's awful. It's it's like it was so painful to watch. So I really enjoy Black Mirror and every episode, even the the ones that are bad like the the second episode called smithereens which i mentioned moriarty earlier i can't remember his name but the guy who played moriarty in sherlock not yeah. elementary but sherlock right he's in this and a it's weaselly about, little guy yeah, yeah yeah and it's an episode about social media and the way that it, it can ruin lives yeah that can't end good it was it was a pre- I thought it was a good episode. It was intense. I think in the end it kind of lacked some punch. And then the third episode starred Miley Cyrus. They got her to to come in and play a pop star. And that episode was great too. And was a nice. It was an interesting commentary on the way that we consume things and and do we really even want human stars as our pop stars? So yeah, man, uh, Black Mirror. It's heavy stuff. Uh, it's hard to watch. Like it's a difficult show to binge because you watch the show. And for me, 
after every episode is done, I have to stop and kind of, what is that? And now I'm going to go for a two-hour walk and think about what I just saw. I got to read some reviews and see if I can mix, you know, pick up well, some that's insight good. that that's I missed. That's fun TV. I should get into that. Yeah, I think you would love it, Jeff, uh, because you're you're the more serious of the two of us. So, yeah, watch Black Mirror. Uh, Striking Vipers is the episode that I loved, and I will predict that that will end up on my top 10 Ooh. television for cool. 2019. And we only have about a minute left here, so we why don't we just set up? up this next show that you watched and then we'll talk about it in our yeah, next segment. Yeah, it's a new Netflix limited series which uh, they make that distinction all through the Netflix pages for whatever reason, blah, blah, blah. It's all about awards at this point, I think, right? That's yeah. why they care about. Anyways, but this thing won't have a sequel because it is a, it's a four-episode limited series about the Central Park Five, the Central Park Jogger case from 1989. It's from uh, notable director Ava DuVernay, who made uh, Selma, to some acclaim, a few years back, and it's produced by Oprah Winfrey and Robert De Niro, and it's very powerful stuff, and we'll get into that after the break. And we will also talk about the other show that Jeff watched, one of my favorite shows that Jeff got into, and he's got a review of that sort of scary movie. I'm so proud of you, Jeff. You're seeing all these like scary, scary-ish movies. It Maybe. was either that or Aladdin, so. Well, the blue Will Smith is kind of scary to <laughs> some. Freaky. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I watched a new Netflix series this week based on the true story of the Central Park Jogger case from 1989. It's called When They See Us. <laughs> Let's get an army of blue up in Harlem. You go into those projects and you stop every little thug you see. You bring in every kid who was in the park last night. It's a Netflix limited series from director Ava DuVernay, and it's produced by Oprah Winfrey and Robert De Niro. There's some Hollywood weight right there. It stars Jarrell Jerome, who's in Moonlight, John Leguizamo, Michael Kenneth Williams, Vera Farmiga, Famke Janssen, Joshua Jackson, and Felicity Huffman. We'll get to that in a bit. Now, those are sort of the recognizable actors, but they're not the main characters, except for Jarrell Jerome. The main actors are these unknown kid actors who play the Central Park Five, and then there's another group of actors that sort of play the grown-up version of those kids. Jarrell Jerome plays both the younger and older version of his character because he was a little older than the others to begin with, which actually ended up making his ordeal even worse. But let's back up a bit. The story, if you're unfamiliar with it, is this. In April 1989, a woman was jogging through Central Park in New York City one night, and she was attacked. It was a vicious attack and rape that left her in a coma for a while and then left her with life-altering injuries. Brutal, uh, brutal, brutal attack. And at that time, there had been a large group of teenage boys from Harlem running through the park, sort of harassing strangers, and some of them behaving worse than others. Police rounded up these boys, charged five of them in the attack on the jogger, even though all the evidence pointed to the boys being in a different part of the park at the time. Five of them were charged with the rape anyways, convicted of the crime as well, and did time in prison before eventually being exonerated. The story was a big deal at the time. It has had a little resurgence a couple of years back because of Donald Trump, weirdly enough. In 1989, he took out these full-page ads asking for the boys to be executed, and he sort of still stands by that, even though they've been exonerated. It's widely regarded as a devastating case of police randomly deciding that some black kids must be guilty, and how the system was designed to crush them. The first episode of the series deals with their arrests and the way the police coerce these false confessions out of them. Honestly, it was hard to watch, and I actually worried that I would have to bail out of the series altogether if it was going to continue to be that hard to watch. 
watch. It does get a little easier to watch through episodes two and three, although it is still mostly just heartbreaking watching these boys go through the legal process and how they get spit out the other side, having even having done their time, but they're so damaged and society still has no place for them. And then the final episode has some very rough patches as we track this older boy, Corey Wise, and his journey through a variety of prisons. The other four were under 16 at the time and did their prison time in juvenile detention centers, but Corey was 16, so they sent him to Rikers Island and Attica, some of the toughest prisons in America. As hard as some of the series is to watch, though, I found it to be gripping stuff. It's maddening what they went through, and I think even when we do hear about cases of people being wrongfully convicted, while we have empathy, of course, it rarely really sinks into what that means for those convicted people and their families, never mind the fact that the victim of the crime never gets real justice, and whomever's really responsible gets off scot-free. Everyone just loses. The show is very well made. Ava DuVernay, of course, is a great director. The kid actors are terrific, and I don't know if directors' techniques have changed or something, but it seems lately like the kid actors are almost always really good now in movies and TV. Uh, Hopefully a couple of these kids get some traction out of this. The rest of the cast is good too. I used to really not like John Leguizamo, but I I found that he was great in this and he's actually been growing on me the last few years. Is that because he's in John Wick? I I almost, it might just be. I sort of, as soon as he showed up in the first John Wick, I was like, come on. And then I was like, oh, he's funny. All right. So I don't know. There was, he used to irritate me. Now he doesn't. Maybe it's just me getting older or him getting older. But Felicity Huffman, that was the weird one to watch. As she, of course, is currently embroiled in her own real-life legal troubles with the college admission scandal. Plus, she plays the evil racist DA here, so it's hard to see where she's coming from. And now, this thing's only four episodes. Each one's about an hour. The last one's 90 minutes. I didn't binge it all in one day for because it was, would have just been too much. I did sort of an episode for four days, and uh, I... I do recommend it. It's not easy to watch. It's some of it's not fun to watch, but it's it's a just a very compelling four episodes. Yeah, good for you for not binging that stuff. I uh, the Chernobyl series that was on HBO five episodes. I was able to, I think I had three recorded. Yeah, and then the last two I watched week to week. Um, yeah, so I was able to watch I think two and then one because that sh- that show also is just too much to do in one. Se- I mean, it's ca- it, I'm not saying it can't be done, right? But when a show is that heavy, you just yeah. got to sort of give your brain a uh, break. Chernobyl, by the way, if you haven't watched it, uh, the finale was was wonderful. Uh, I mean, it was awful. <laughs> the the, materi- the <laughs> yeah, subject yeah, yeah. material is awful, but it's uh, an excellent ser- series. So uh, we've got some heavy TV, but. Good recommendations, and now based on your recommendation, Jeff, I'm going to try to sneak this one in, especially since it's only four episodes. Yeah, you can get through it again. It might take you four days or whatever, but it's a, but it's all in. It's only four and a half hours. So okay, okay. Now something a little bit more fun. After a couple of years of you recommending this, Brett, I finally started watching Trapped. But now- help it. Got to put the Bruce Springsteen song in there. When oh, that's Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, okay, doing the cover of Trapped. He's been doing it for decades. Uh, actually, just has a new, mov- uh, new movie, new album out. His first in like five years. And, uh, really? And we've got time next week. I'll probably insist on reviewing it, Brett. Oh, great. 
Love it. Can't so, wait. Yeah, Trapped. It's on Netflix, and like you said, it's pretty great. It's this murder mystery show set in a small community in Iceland, a community on the banks of a fjord, and behind it, a giant mountain. Not a lot of ways in or out, and then when a blizzard hits, there's none. Um, the show begins with part of a body being pulled out of the fjord just as a ferry arrives. The thought being someone on the ferry could have thrown the body overboard, or it could have come from someone in town. Regardless, the weather means they're all trapped, and the big city police forensic team can't even come in to take charge of the investigation. So the local guy has to do it. Have that murder mystery, a bunch of regular small town and family drama thrown into the mix as well. Makes for some good TV. I'm only three episodes in to season one right now, which has been out for a couple years, right? Yeah, 2015, I think. Yeah, and season two just came out a couple weeks ago. So I got lots to go on that. I'm excited to see how it pans out. Yeah, the the murder mystery is excellent, but what this show does uh, even better is the, the just the interpersonal dynamics, whether it's family or the community or what have you. It's really touching stuff. The family stuff in particular in that season season is it like made me cry really there's a there's a couple of episodes a couple of moments that are just so heartbreaking um i think the first couple that i've seen are sort of just uh cranking up the machine getting it going there's so much plot and story you got to kickstart at the beginning right yeah and it's 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 the kind of a a series excuse me i think partially because it's in icelandic and it's just you really have to pay attention because it's you have to read everything but when you're reading stuff you sometimes miss visual details and uh, i think it, it, it if you have the patience or the time to watch it again somewhere down the road i think the second viewing ends up almost better than the first. That's always interesting with murder mystery types. Then you go back and it's like, uh, did they give clues to this? Did I miss something real obvious? That's always fun. Hey, speaking of murder mysteries, one of our favorite shows is back. Elementary! Is that the driver? What's left of him? You're Sherlock Holmes. You're an essay. There is a conspiracy afoot. That's your man inside. I realize you're not a fan. The guy is responsible for dozens of murders. If I wind up in a crate, you'll know I should have left well enough alone. New Elementary. This is a show that's light as far as police stuff goes, and I actually do like binging this. Um, They've done four episodes. After the third one, I watched all three in one day and really enjoyed it. It's the seventh and final season of Elementary, and there's only 13 this year. It's been good. They had a great season last year, and it looks like they should sort of keep their stride to the finish line. Interesting mysteries of the week to solve, as Sherlock and Watson also work on this overarching mystery of the season. And at least through the three I've seen, they may have sort of, well, they wrapped up what look to be maybe the main mystery but there might not have there might be a bigger mystery yet and all sorts of ramifications whatnot it's the nature of the show and i trust that they'll keep up the good work over the summer i don't think anyone really has any you don't have a specific expectation for a finale on this i think sherlock just keeps sherlocking doesn't he <laughs> what else are they gonna do that's the nice thing a finale's coming but i'm not it doesn't matter what they do Right on. Uh, I have those three episodes on my PVR, so I will get to those soon. Elementary airs on Global and on CBS. And up next, Jeff Braun reviews a sort of scary movie. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And Brett, I saw something creepy this week. I saw the movie called Ma. Can you buy some booze for my friends and I? Hell. There's my girl. You guys want to party like rock stars? Follow me. Welcome to Ma. Let's rage! <laughs> what happened last night? I don't want to hang out at Ma's anymore. It's the best party in town. Don't be a loser. Just do it. Oh! Can you just get out of here? Are you mad at me for something? 
Octavia Spencer, who usually plays very nice people, is a Kathy Bates in misery-level psychopath in Ma. She befriends a bunch of teenagers by buying them booze and letting them party at their at her house. But when their interest wanes, she gets jealous and possessive and murderous. Max, I want you to meet someone. Nice to meet you, Maggie. Your mom was always nice to me. That's something you should try and do, Maggie. Mom went to high school with her parents. Hey, guys. She's writing something. Sounds like someone's a little jealous. Why is my son Shots, everybody. spending time at your house? <laughs> what kind of mother? Why wait for the weekend? Parties with high schoolers. That is crazy. <laughs> this ought to shut you up. I didn't want to see this. My girlfriend did, and God knows I make her see enough movies that she doesn't want to see. So I was like, all right, I'll go see Ma. The trailer shows her, we heard there the clip, her sewing someone's mouth shut. And that's just too messed up for my delicate sensibilities. The good news is, apart from those 30 seconds, there's nothing in Ma that I couldn't handle. There are some other bloody endeavors, but it's all fairly tame when in the torture porn department. It's technically described as a horror thriller, I think. And I would drop the word horror out of it altogether. It is pretty crazy parts, but more of a disturbing vibe way than anything visually disturbing. And boys, Octavia Spencer is having a blast with this. Ma goes through a roller coaster of emotions, often turning on a dime. She has these sad, quiet moments, and then these very broad, over-the-top moments. Everything under the dome, and Spencer just relishes it. It could spin out of control, but it all fits together and makes sense as a personality, especially given her history, I guess. There are flashbacks to when Ma and the parents in the town were the same age as these teenagers are in the movie's present, and the movie sort of tries to make the flashbacks show why things are the way they are now with Ma. I think that part was a little bit weak overall, but Spencer's performance and the plotting in the present sort of make up for it, at least for me. This is uh, the part where I remind you I don't watch very many scary movies at all, so when I do, it feels fresh to me in ways that it probably won't to those of you who watch a lot of them, just because I haven't seen a lot of them. So, honestly, this didn't even feel super fresh, but it was mostly solidly executed, and it was mostly fun to watch, too. There were a few times when I thought, ah, these stupid teens, don't do that, don't go in there, and then I realized, well... Teens are prone to making bad decisions from time to time, so I guess that tracks. I also enjoyed the small-town realism of these bored teens uh, drinking at a rock pile in the beginning of the movie. There's like, we'll meet you at the rock pile with the beer. Had there been a rock pile in my small town growing up uh, that hit us from the eyes of everyone else in town, my friends and I definitely would have hung out there. Instead, we had to drive out to a farmer's field. (laughs) Anyways. Yes, the farmer's field. Yeah. It's a great hiding spot. No one's going to come looking for you there. The movie had a couple of good twists along the way, including the fact that Allison Janney is in this movie. There wasn't in any of the advertising I saw, and you'd think if you had an Oscar winner in your movie, you'd make a point of letting people know that. Uh, it's not a spoiler or anything. Janney simply plays the veterinarian in the small town. She's Ma's boss, and she has like three small scenes. I, I thought it felt like she was doing someone a favor by being in it, and then I looked it all up, and the director, Tate Taylor, made the movie The Help, which starred both Spencer and Janney, so that's all that mystery. Janney was doing him a favor. I did enjoy the movie, but I don't think it's really necessary to take a trip to the theater to watch it. You'll enjoy it much the same, I think, if you wait to rent it or wait until it's on Netflix or Crave or something. Besides the Ma origin story in the flashbacks, which didn't really achieve what the movie wants it to, the movie also suffers from a lack of any real driving menace. Ma is crazy and probably dangerous, but for most of the movie, it's very benign. Again, they play up the crazy in her performance, but there's not as much action as you would think there is. Now, that didn't bother me a whole lot because I don't like the scary action and the gross and other horror elements, but if you're going in hoping for a lot of that, you'll probably be disappointed. In the end, though, I thought it was a fun performance from Spencer and a pretty basic movie, so 
three couch cushions out of five for Ma. Wow. So you you talk. <clears throat> I'm just trying to remember the, the various horror movies. So you watched Ma. You wa- recently watched something before us. Did I you... saw It Part One. Did you? In 2017. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to talk my girlfriend out of going to Part Two. But you watched something recently? Did you Get not? Out. Uh what other horror movies have there been? I'm trying to remember now. Okay, but regardless of that, you watched Get Out. You watched Us. It's that, that, yeah, that one I could see being a real scary one for you. So that's a, that's a lot of scary movies. Would yeah. you ever, when do you make the upgrade to something like The Conjuring? No, nah, I don't, that, I can't, or The Nun. The, I still have nightmares about the trailer for The Nun. Well, that I would. spook me. Yeah, badly. you would, the, you would get more scare out of The Conjuring 2 versus The Nun. The Nun, The Nun's just a stupid movie. Uh, entertaining, but stupid, disappointing, really, mm. in terms of what could have been a great movie. I am in no rush to do any of these things. Mostly I do this stuff sort of out of, because uh, I have to. So we've got two minutes left here. Let's have a quick peek because your girlfriend said so. Yep. What's the kind of movie you, you make her go see? Uh, she's still upset with me for making her see The Shape of Water. She hated that. Really? A she's lot. still upset with you? Yeah, well, she brings it up a lot. That's like a year and a half ago. Yeah. She holds a grudge. <laughs> what's coming? Here's what's coming to home video. From Walt Disney Pictures, it's time for magic. Look at what she did. It's time for excitement. Please wait. It's time for Cinderella. Walt Disney's animated spectacular is back for the holiday. That could be more net. And now is the time to see it. We haven't a moment to lose. Only at a theater near you. That means I can go too. Walt Disney's classic, Cinderella. Now playing at famous players and other theaters. That's from... Newspapers for Showtime. Oh, newspapers? Yeah. That's a 1987 TV commercial for a re-release of Cinderella, but it's coming out of the Disney vault for a 70th anniversary Walt Disney Signature Edition on Digital HD next coming Tuesday, and then a week or two after that, out on a hard copy Blu-ray DVD. Nice, and uh, I mentioned Us. I see that's coming yeah. to Blu-ray DVD and on-demand platforms. Yep, as is a movie called The Beach Bum, which is coming to those and Digital HD Everything. That's a Harmony Corinne movie starring Matthew McConaughey and Snoop Dogg, which it looks like a fun Matthew McConaughey it looks wild. Yeah, yeah, it didn't get the best reviews, but that is a crazy pairing. Matthew McConaughey and Snoop Dogg. It actually looks like the kind of movie that Matthew McConaughey was born to play. Yeah. But it didn't get the best no. reviews. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at CouchPotato68. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Couch Potatoes.